think I know how to work this thing by now. Okay, so we're going to look at Luke 23, 33 through 38. And you guys know how it goes. We're not going <laughs> to finish it. But uh, let's look at, let's read it. And then we'll, um, we'll get into it. In uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 33. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. So we've come to the place in, in uh, Luke's gospel. You realize that we started this study in January of 2018? That's a long time. I'm so long-winded. Anyway, we come to the place in Luke's gospel where our Savior is now nailed to the cross. And um, so he's, he's hanging there, suspended between heaven and earth. And do you think it was the nails that held Jesus on that cross? No. It was, it was his love. It was his love for you and me that, that held him on that cross. So here he is. He's hanging on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth on our behalf. And I've outlined these three verses, um, the scenario, the sayings, and the superscription. <laughs> We're only going to get through the scenario. I can see that right now. But I want to talk about the scenario, uh, what, what, we're, what we have here. Um, now, according to Mark 15:25, and it was the third hour and they crucified him, that third hour is 9 o'clock in the morning. So when they were driving the nails through Jesus' hands and feet, it was 9 o'clock in the morning. And it was at this particular time also that the priests were making the morning offering. The law of Moses had the priests give the offering of a lamb twice in the day, first in the morning and then in the evening before the sun set. And so as Jesus was being nailed to the cross, the priests in the temple were making the morning offering. And then about noontime, darkness covered the land. That's what Mark says in Mark 15, 33. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land. So at noon, the lights went out. The lights went out and darkness uh, covered the land. And then according to Mark's gospel, Mark 15, 32 to 37, it was the ninth hour that Jesus cried and gave up the ghost. And the ninth hour is 3 p.m. 3 p.m. So from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., Jesus hung on the cross. Six hours. Six hours he hung on the cross. Um, Psalms 55:17 says, "Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice." So the three specific hours that the godly would be mindful of God and, and, and cry out to God and pray to God, those three hours are now sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ, because they hung on that cross from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And for six hours, the number of man, the perfect son of man, died for imperfect, fallen, sinful man. Now what Luke provides for us is really a condensed account. If you are familiar with the other Gospels about the crucifixion and all that went on there, uh, the other Gospels give a a lot of different um, information, a lot of different details. But Luke, in comparison, is very concise. But he also gives us information that the other uh, gospel accounts do not. And um, if you notice here, in um, verse 35, it says, And the people stood beholding. 
Like, so just like when Jesus was alive, he was always surrounded by people, always surrounded by the multitude. Even in death, Jesus is, is surrounded by people. He's surrounded by, uh, by a multitude, by a multitude. And if you stop and think about it, and this is where I'm going, if you stop and think about it, think about the multitude that surrounded Jesus, the people that were there surrounding Jesus. You had some folks who were sympathetic, right? You had some folks who had pity upon Jesus. There were folks who uh, were sorry for Jesus. Then you had folks who were happy that he was there on that cross. They were glad he was hanging on that cross. That's, that's what they wanted. They got what they wanted. They were happy he was on that cross. And then there were folks who were, for lack of a better term, they were indifferent that Jesus was on the cross. Just another guy. Just another guy. They were indifferent. They were indifferent. You know, when I was um, looking at this and thinking about this, and especially about the guys that were happy about Jesus being on the cross, um, you know what? You know what that reminded me? It reminded me of something that Proverbs, that Solomon wrote in Proverbs. Proverbs twenty four seventeen through eighteen says, "Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Least the Lord see it and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him." Now stop and think about it. These guys were happy that Jesus was on the cross. They were glad he was suffering. They were making fun of him while he was suffering. Who was watching that? Who was seeing that? The Father. The Father. The Father was seeing. It's no different with us. You know, when we're happy about somebody's misfortune or tragedy, Father sees that. Father sees that. So there were some who were gathered who were sympathetic. Can you think of some people who may have been there who were sympathetic? What about his mom? His mom was there, wasn't she? And then some of the ladies that followed Jesus and some of the ladies that were the friends of Mary, his mother, they were there. They were there. And John, according to John's God, John was there because that's who Jesus gave his mother charge to, right? And you know, I also think that some of the apostles were there. Maybe all of them were there except for Judas. They may have been standing back a bit, but they may they may have been there. I think he may have been there. He may have been there. I don't know. I really don't know, because there's there's detail that you read in other gospels that are eyewitness reports, right? So very very possibly, you know, you're not going to catch everything, right? But if you have a group of folks, they're going to catch a lot. I guess the story is Peter. Exactly. That's exactly right. So it could be Mark got this from Peter. Uh, Simon. He may have been there. Yeah, he may have been there. There's all sorts of folks there that were sympathetic with Jesus' cause. All sorts of folks. All sorts of, all sorts of folks. <clears throat> There may have been disciples of Jesus who followed you know, him around in Galilee because it was Passover, right? So they may have been there. And what about the folks who loved to hear Jesus teach in the temple? They may have been there. Well, you know, there are a lot of folks that may have been there that were sympathetic to Jesus. But here's the point. There were a lot, I believe there were a lot of people there who were sympathetic to his sufferings, but they were powerless to do anything to help him. Because Jesus had to go through this alone. And you know what? Sometimes we find ourselves in that very same place. We've got a lot of folks who are sympathetic to our suffering and to our plight. 
But there are just some things you go through alone. Just because that's the way it is. Now, was Jesus really alone? No, he had the Father. Just like you and me. You may feel alone, but you're not. You're not. You've got the Father. You've got the Father there with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? So there are some things that we go through that others have sympathy for us, but they're really powerless to do anything about. He's not powerless. And he's there with you. He's there with you. Then there were those who hated Jesus. These were the ones who who plotted against him. And really, earthly speaking, these are the ones who brought this moment to being. Uh, They derided Jesus. They sneered at him. They scoffed him as he struggled for breath on that cross. As he would push up from those nail-pierced hands to catch a breath. They were making fun of him. They were mocking him in his sufferings. Mark 15, 29, and they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildeth in three days. Save yourself. If you're all that powerful, do something about this. Do something about this. They made jokes about him. They spoke reproachfully and disrespectfully about him. They outright rejected him and they didn't believe him. As far as they were concerned, he was no better than a sinner. He was a blasphemer. He deserved to be on that cross. He deserved to be on that cross. Now think about that crowd. Think about that crowd. A lot of those folks looked at Jesus as a threat to their status quo (laughs) they saw in Jesus a threat to their standard of living they looked at Jesus as a threat to their way of life and their leadership and position among the people they couldn't ignore the miracles he performed they They saw his popularity among the multitudes. They heard his words of truth. But that's the very thing that they hated about him. They felt threatened by Jesus. They were afraid of what the Romans would do. Right? They were afraid of what the Romans would do. What the government would do. So they were more concerned about losing their place rather than seeing justice done and truth prevail. That's why they had to find the false witnesses to condemn him. They hated him because of his truth. Now, not all the religious leadership felt this way. Not all of them did. There were a few who did believe that Jesus was who he said he was. In John 12, 42, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. You see, they went along to get along. Again, for the sake of self-interest. They believed, but they didn't speak up. When Jesus needed somebody to come to his defense, they kept their mouth shut. Because they were afraid. They were afraid. And then you got the soldiers. They were just carrying out orders. They were told, crucify that man and the other two as well. 
they could care less about Jesus being the Christ. What did they care? They were completely indifferent to the whole thing. They only knew one king. They only served one king. Caesar. That's the only king they were concerned about. In comparison to any other person who claimed to be king, well, Rome was in charge. They were, they were either defeated, because Rome defeated about everybody they came across, or they were a usurper, a usurper is that how you pronounce that? A pretender. Or they were, <laughs> they were like this man they just got done nailing to the cross. A joke. You know? Really? This is your king? This is your king? The guy we just nailed to the cross? So they were indifferent. They were indifferent. You know who else was indifferent at that time? What about the rest of the people in Jerusalem who were going about their day? Oh, they may have known what was going on. But they had their own little lives to take care of. They had their own little lives to take care of. Probably the only time that their curiosity was piqued was, was when the sun went out. Can you imagine being in Jerusalem on that day and you're going about your business and all of a sudden blink? Whoa, what happened? They were indifferent until the darkness settled in. That's probably the only time they may have given any thought to the man hanging on the cross. You know, the folks who were gathered around the cross in that day is not much different than today, is it? There are those who love Jesus. I love Jesus. You love Jesus. Do you believe Jesus? Believe on Jesus? Do you follow him the best you can? I, I do. I try to follow him the best I can. You know, you got your religious types, you got your elitists, you got your educated. And some of those folks, they respect Jesus, they follow Jesus, they love Jesus. They do. They do. And then you also have those folks who hate Jesus and reject Jesus and mock Jesus. And they speak against Jesus in the classrooms and universities and even on the floor of Congress. This is the correct quote by Jerry Nadler, the Democrat of New York. What any religious tradition describes as God's will is no concern for this Congress. Is it any wonder why our country's in the mess it's in? Even our own leadership is indifferent, doesn't care, has no respect. There's a lot of folks out there that know about Jesus, but they don't want to know Jesus. They have no desire. No desire at all to have anything to do with him. Yeah, he's a good man, but that's as far as it goes. A lot of them, he's just a joke or an object of scorn. Most of them, he's not really all that important to me. And they treat him that way. I mean, yeah, he's, he's a pretty important guy, but he's not important enough for me to really spend any time getting to know, have anything to do with, to give any further consideration about. It's funny, with folks like that, you know when they start thinking about Jesus? when the darkness of death starts creeping into their life. When the light of the sun starts going out, then they want to know all they can. They want to know all they can about Jesus. Jesus. 
Now thinking about that, what was Jesus' first words while he was being nailed to the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Have we become jaded to that aspect of our Savior? That these people who were nailing him to the cross, his, his first words was a prayer of forgiveness. I have to confess, sometimes I get jaded. I do. You know, you read this stuff, you hear this stuff, and it's like you get this kind of this funny callous. Mentally, yeah. What about the heart? That's amazing to me. He's there having nails driven into his hands and his feet he's already been beaten he's already been falsely accused he's already all this stuff has already happened to him this is this is God almighty in the flesh with a spoken word he could have wiped out the entire planet but what does he say instead father forgive them for they know not what they do Ignorant. That's my topic. God shows grace to the ignorant. I'm ignorant. And I'm I'm glad God shows grace to the ignorant. You see, there were those present that I believe they knew they were crucifying the Christ. But they were so wicked and hard in their hearts, it had no impact on them. And there are people like that. They can be so wicked and so hard, it don't matter. They can have the truth standing right there, nose to nose, but they're going to do what they want to do. Remember the parable of the wicked husbandmen in the vineyard? <clears throat> when, the wicked, uh, when the owner sent um, his son to these wicked men? Luke 20, 14, and when the husbands, But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir, come let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. They knew. They did. They knew. In spite of the preponderance of evidence, they couldn't deny the miracles. Uh, He had these many infallible proofs that Luke talks about in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. But yet these wicked men still pursued after the death of Jesus. They knew. But they went ahead and did it anyway. And the soldiers, they may have had no idea who it was they were crucifying. I mean, to him, he was no better than the other uh, two malefactors that they executed that day. They were simply following orders. But when the sun went out, right? And when they were observing this man hanging on the cross and hearing the words that he was saying... Come on. They knew this was no ordinary man. What about the devil? You think he knew? I know he knew. He knew who it was. He knew it was. You remember the the demon-possessed man living among the tombs? When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? The devil knew. 
be new. Um, this is kind of fancy. I can't make claim to this. One guy said, um, ignorance mitigates the criminality of the sin, but ignorance never exonerates the sinner for the sin. In other words, ignorance is no excuse. The Bible itself even says that these guys crucified Jesus through ignorance. In um, Acts chapter 3, when Peter was preaching to the Jews, he says in Acts 3.14, he says, But ye deny the Holy One and the just, and desire to murder or to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he so fulfilled. So they did it in ignorance. But ignorance doesn't excuse the crime. Especially willful ignorance. And there is such a thing as willful ignorance. They had the evidence. His miracles, the raising of the dead, the calming of the storm, the authority over the devils. That was evidence. But they were willfully ignorant. His character. Jesus' whole life was lived like an open book. Right? And when they tried to find something that they can condemn him with, he even challenged them. What sin do you find in me? They couldn't find... You know what they had to do? They had to find false witnesses and bring up false charges. They themselves testified he does all things well. They knew what they were doing. Even even if they denied, even if they didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, they still put to death an innocent man. They knew. They knew. Paul, when he was writing about this, he was writing about the princes of this world, you know, the Romans and stuff. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 7 about their ignorance, he says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world under our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Pilate had his suspicions, though, didn't he? He knew that this was an innocent man before him. He tried to get him freed. He had the authority to do it. But he didn't. He didn't. I'm getting there, Ron. You're ahead of me. That's okay. But you're tracking in the right, right direction. That's amazing. The compassion of Jesus' heart. He was advocating for these folks. Even, even the religious leadership. Even the religious leadership. He's interceding for these people. Asking for the Father to forgive them. We're ignorant people. We really are. But that doesn't excuse us of our guilt. And God in his compassion overlooks that. He winks at that. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. 
and he averts his anger. And grant, what, he, what, is, what is he doing? Is he, he, this is what he's doing. He's granting us opportunity <laughs> to stop being ignorant and repent. That's what he's doing. The Apostle Paul, he testifies to this. 1 Timothy 1.13, he says, speaking of himself, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Then he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am, ch- I am chief. Folks, God overlooks our ignorance to give us time to repent, to stop being ignorant. When Paul preached to the Stoics up on Mars Hill. In Acts 17.30, he says, In the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Ignorance is no excuse. Ignorance is also no confirmation of safety. You're not safe just because you're ignorant. Anyone who scornfully or disrespectfully or indifferently ignores the truth you'll be held accountable for that all of us will all of us will the Jewish leadership knew but they rejected the evidence they rejected the evidence that's why Jesus said in Matthew twenty three fourteen that they will receive the greater damnation. I can't imagine what that what that would be. I mean, the lake of fire is bad. Greater damnation. You know, as far as this Jewish leadership. Ignorance that holds power is the greatest enemy of justice and truth. Ignorance that holds power is the greatest enemy of justice and truth. We're seeing that today in our own government. We really are. There's a lot of ignorant things going on. They know better. But they're going to go ahead and do it anyway. The indifferents have no excuse. Remember the centurion after all this was said and done? In Matthew 27, um, 54, he said, Certainly this was a righteous man. And I think it's Mark's gospel. He said, Truly... This man was the Son of God. And like, uh, like um, Ron mentioned earlier, the devil knew who it was, but he was still ignorant. The devil knew who Jesus was, but he was ignorant because he didn't realize the significance <laughs> of what was going on on that hill he knew that the son of God was being put to death but he didn't understand that with Jesus' death it was his ultimate ruin Hebrews 2.14 for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood 
He also himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. 1 John 3.8, he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. You know, I think if the devil really understood what was going on here, he would have followed Jesus around with a big sofa pillow, making sure he didn't hurt himself. He would have never let Jesus go to the cross. They knew. But in their ignorance, they failed. They failed to comprehend the significance of their actions. That's true ignorance. They didn't care about the consequences of their decision. That's ignorance. That's the way it is with folks who reject the gospel. Who harden their heart against what God's word is trying to say to them. Uh, They fail to see the force, the power of the gospel. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, both Jew and Greek. I witnessed to a man um, on the job site. I worked for a major pharmaceutical company. And I worked next to some very brilliant people. I mean, you're talking doctorates, PhDs, very, very brilliant people. And the man that I was witnessing to one time on the job site, he was very smart, very smart man. Um, And what we were talking about was the subject, what must I do to be saved? And so for about an hour... Um, I opened up the word of God and I was showing to this man how you got saved what was it you, you know what must I do to be saved and toward the end of the conversation he says to me he says if what I understand what it is you're telling me is that all I need to do is believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins on the cross And that if I trust in him who died for me on the cross, I'd be saved. I said, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. That's, That's the gist of it. Pretty much. And then he says to me, now, that's too simple. I can't believe that. There's got to be something more. There's got to be something I need to do. It was just, isn't it amazing how simple the gospel is, but yet how people just cannot seem to understand that? I said, yeah, that's exactly right. So, I'm sorry. I can't believe that. I can't believe that. What is it? 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Can you remember when somebody was sharing the gospel with you and your mindset before light shone in your heart but when that light clicked on how it all made perfect sense people in their ignorance reject the truth and in ignorance they don't care about the consequences of of rejecting that truth And the greatest form of ignorance is rejecting something that you know nothing about. 
I have people all the time trying to tell me that Bible, you know, you can't trust that Bible, that Bible this, that Bible that. Have you ever actually, truly studied the Bible for yourself? Well, no. Have you ever read the No. So what you're doing is you're telling me what other people have told you, what other people have told them. Uh, yeah. That's ignorance. That's ignorance. Now consider this scene. Jesus in physical agony has no thought for himself. But yet here he is interceding for those who are causing his pain. Those very ones who had persecuted him. Those very ones that brought him to this place. Those very ones that are now mocking him and ridiculing him and scoffing him. But yet he forgives him. He prays that God would forgive him. That is foolish. (laughs) Isn't it? It's just, what I mean by that is that's just hard to fathom. But it's the truth. It's a wonderful truth. And his prayer for his persecutors and his enemies was, Father, give him more time. Give him another chance. Give him an opportunity to repent from their ignorance. Remember the parable of the gardener and the fig tree in Luke 13, 6 and 9? Well, let me remind you. This is Jesus speaking. A certain man had a fig tree planted in the vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? Just get rid of it. And he answering and said unto him, Lord... Let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Give it some time. Give it another chance. Just like the gardener in this parable who besought the owner to give the fig tree more time another chance that's what Jesus is praying here on the cross give him more chance give him more time give him another chance the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long suffering to us word not willing that any should perish but that all should come why do you think he's letting you go so long in your ignorance and your stupidity because he's hoping he's praying he's wanting you to stop being ignorant and repent right and do what he says do what he says Now, in case of the Jews, opportunity after opportunity was given to the Jews. Pentecost, Peter preached, 3,000 were saved. Later on, the other apostles preached, and many were saved. Paul went out throughout the whole empire and into synagogues first. Folks were saved out of synagogues. Peter warned uh, the Jews, he said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. That was the message for 40 years to the Jews. What happened? Some believed. Many did not. And in 70 AD, God says, okay, time's up. The Jews were dispersed, the nation collapsed, the temple destroyed. He's long-suffering. But there comes a time 
There comes a time. You know, that same forgiveness is still available to all of us. But there's a condition, isn't there? (laughs) There is a condition. We can't remain in our ignorance. Not a good place to be. Not a good place to be. Hebrews 3.15, while it said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Folks who harden their hearts are ignorant. I know, that's kind of rough, isn't it? But it's true. It's true. They're ignorant. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6.2 For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. God winks at ignorance just for so long. I don't know how long. Do you know how long? I don't know how long. God does. God does. But he gives you space. He gives you room. He gives you people like me shouting at you. Hey, stop being ignorant. I've got people in my life saying, hey, Jeff, stop being ignorant. Uh, we had a marriage conference. And there was a man who preached at us. Pretty much he said, hey, stop being ignorant. <laughs> right? <laughs> now, there's two types of ignorance. Uh, first kind of ignorance is uh, you, you're just, you just don't have the knowledge. Okay? You, just, you don't know. I mean, I can go out and turn the ignition in my key... Uh, yeah, the key in my ignition turns my car on. I have no idea why that happens, why that engine turns over. I don't know anything about the electrical process. I don't know anything about the combustion. I don't know anything about But all I know is I stick the key in my ignition, turn it, and it starts. But I'm totally ignorant about how cars work. It just That's just lack of information. It's, uh, you know, it's not that I'm mentally... You know, what do you call it? Crippled or whatever. That's one kind of ignorance. I think we all can say, yeah, I'm, I've got that kind of ignorance in some things. The second kind of ignorance, this is, this is, the, this is the ignorance that gets you in trouble. This is the ignorance that you realize, yeah, I am ignorant, but you know what? I'm not going to do anything about it. That's an attitude of heart. That's the kind of ignorance that gets you in trouble. That's an attitude of heart. That's an attitude of heart. It's like when Jeremiah was preaching to the city of Jerusalem. You know, they were, Babylon was coming. And Jeremiah was trying to warn them, hey guys, get it right, get it right. He says in Jeremiah 6.26, he says, O daughter of my people, gird thee with sackcloth and wallow thyself in ashes. Make thee mourning as for an only son, most bitter lamentation for the spoiler shall suddenly come upon us. What is, what is Jeremiah doing there with this rebellious people in Jerusalem? He's saying, guys, judgment's coming. Repent. Stop being ignorant. Repent. Get ready right with God that's what he was doing and what did they do (laughs) yeah they obstinately willfully remained ignorant not unlike the lost who hear the call of God and ignore it or put it away Proverbs 10.5 He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causes shame. That convicts me. You know what that talks about? Every one of of us in this room has the knowledge of salvation. We know what it is. We know how people can get saved. 
But what are we doing with that knowledge? Are we hoarding it? Or are we sharing it? Are we bothering to tell anybody about it? Or are we afraid? Are we timid? Are we this? Are we that? It's an attitude of heart. It's an attitude of heart. I'll close with this. Proverbs 129 says, For they, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. And they would none of my counsel. They despised all my, my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. <clears throat> the most damaging form of ignorance is the ignorance of the attitude of heart. When you know the truth, but you either ignore it, or you refuse it, or you don't act on it. You don't act on it. See, it's, it's not knowing the truth that makes a person ignorant. It's knowing the truth and not acting on that truth. That's ignorance. That's ignorance. When a husband knows, and I'm only saying this because of the marriage conference, when a husband knows he's not treating his wife right, and he's got the word of God to help him, to show him how to treat his wife right, and yet he refuses to act upon that, that's ignorance. Same thing for the wife. That's just being ignorant. Ignorance is not bliss, folks. You ever heard that saying? Ignorance is not bliss. It's tragic. And willful ignorance is destructive. So don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. I know this is kind of a funny twist on things, Father, but um, golly, we've got your word. We've got your truth. We read it. We hear it preached. But how often do we ignore it or refuse it or don't apply it? Lord, we don't want to be ignorant people. We want to be wise people. We want to be understanding people. We want to be knowledgeable people. So help us, Lord God, in those areas that we are ignorant, attitude of heart. And we're so thankful that you give us the space to grow the space to change. Help us, Father, to make that change. Help us, Father. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Praise God.